Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast. But when you make that D-loop stroke, and I don't care what cast it is, but it's certainly pertinent to double spay, snap D, C-spay. If your palm is up as you come around to your key position, your casting position, you're going to have a nice, flat D-loop stroke. Um, what we don't want is a D-loop stroke that angles too steep upward. So we want a flatter one and less, and not a steep one. That was John Hazlitt on the Palms Up Spay Casting Tip, Summer Steelhead Tips for Guides, and the Spay Lesson today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how are you doing today? Thank you for stopping by the show. At Wet Fly Swing on Instagram right now for a chance to ask a question for our next guest. This is what we're doing. We're going to be giving away some swag. We're going to be giving away some stickers, some shirts. Uh, we got some good stuff coming, so check it out right now. Follow us on Instagram. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsor. Waters West Fly Fishing Outfitters is your go-to resource for swung fly techniques, two-handed casting, and anatomous fish. Find out why Waters West has built a cult-like following around their fly time materials and why they are the go-to resource for the OP and beyond. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash waterswest right now to check in with Ed and Kyle and get all geared up to get on the water. Today's episode is sponsored by Fishhound Expeditions, putting together remote Alaskan wilderness trips for that trip of a lifetime. These are not your lodge-style trips. These are not your uh, car-style trips. This is remote, floating in, uh, flying in at times, floating in down Alaska in the middle of nowhere, mousing for rainbows, camping out under the stars of the Alaskan sky. This is good stuff. We did a trip earlier this year, and it was amazing. You can check out these trips right now from Fishhound, wetflyswing.com slash fishhound, F-I-S-H-H-O-U-N-D. John Hazlitt is here to give us the step-by-step to fishing the Rogue River. We hear the story of John getting fired from his first Alaskan guide job in the first few weeks. We find out which boat he loves to fish on the Rogue and why he loves a raft in the specific type here. And we get a little deep dive into that tray of drinks analogy for a better spay cast. This one makes a lot of sense. We talked about it palms up. We're going to be digging in deep. So what is on the menu today? Our main course is Spay with a side of Steelhead. Here we go. John Hazlitt from SpayLesson.com. How you doing, John? Hey, Dave. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on here. We, uh, I'm excited to jump into this one today for a number of reasons, but you know, Steelhead is always a hot topic. We've got some trips going on around, you know, around the country, and uh, you know, you're in a spot yep. which is a real popular area. I mean, Oregon's obviously a, a Steelhead mecca, right? It's one of those places. Um, but also just spay, right? Spay is a big hot topic as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about that before we get into all that and all your guiding and, and, you know, the rogue and stuff, talk about how you first got into fly fishing, then we'll take into everything else. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I was like 11 and this old timer from my hometown, the Dalles where I grew up, uh, introduced me to fly fishing and showed me how to tie a few knots and tie a couple flies. And he just kind of yeah, it got me going for a while, and uh, that's where it started. Were your parents not into fly fishing? No, no, not at all. Uh, 
did not grow up really in a fishing family necessarily. So, um, my next door neighbors were the Griswolds of all yeah. things. Right. Like literally that was their name or they were just <laughs> like them. That was their name. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, Griswolds. <laughs> and, but they, they were a hunting fishing, like if it flew or walked, they pursued it. So, you know, that was also a, a big influence of, of kind of the, the outdoor, you know, direction I took. So that certainly factored in the Griswolds. Yeah. The Griswolds. That's awesome. So you get started early and, you know, I'm guessing you're kind of fishing, obviously you're in the Dalles. So my guess is the Deschutes was a river you hit quite often. Was that the case early on? Well, funny thing, I, I, I didn't fish in Deschutes till I think college. And there's a couple of creeks that, you know, in the general area and, and, uh, uh, you know, the first time I got taken fly fish was on a lake in a canoe, but, uh, no, you would think the Deschutes would have been, uh, the target, but, uh, it was not. Gotcha. So you're kind of fishing some of the little stuff around. I try to think the Dalles, right? There's some, so as a kid, you're just hitting whatever water's close by sort of thing. And then as you got older, where was the first place you were kind of driving to and going like for a big trip? You know, I, I did it a little bit when I was younger and then, you know, get into junior high and high school sports and this and that. I didn't fly fish in high school. I got back into it in college. My best friend from college, who's still my best friend to this day, who got me my first guide job. Um, when we were at Oregon State, we'd go hit like the Alsea River, you know, and um, cruise around there. That was kind of the first, yeah, let's go, let's go fly fishing with our you know, teeny lines and whatever we could figure out or floating lines and a split shot and egg pattern. And, and, uh, and so that was my first kind of, yeah, let's go. That's right. So you got the LC and the, and the sluts and all that mid coast stuff. What was your first rogue trip? Like, how did you get down there? You know, my first, uh, um, my first wife, I am a fishing guide, so I've been married at least once. Um, <laughs> My first wife's from Southern Oregon, so that was kind of my introduction to the Rogue River. So, you know, even before I had a drift boat, you know, just I remember driving to the upper Rogue below the hatchery and and uh, trying to catch fish. So you got the Rogue going and you're down there. When does the um, the guiding become kind of your line of work? Well, yeah, uh it was about, uh, 1998. Um, my best buddy's name is Chris Lida. He'll probably come up in a few conversations today. He was guiding at Rainbow King Lodge in Alaska. And there's a, a big Corvallis connection there. Um, it used to be the, the, the fly shop that was there. Scarlet Ibis was kind of a, uh, a segue or a, a connection that this lodge had to get guides. And, um, the owner of the lodge who's passed Tom Robinson, but he was from Lake Oswego. So you ended up with a lot of Oregon guides at rainbow King. So, um, that was my first guide job and I was really green. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but Alaska is a good place to get broke in for sure. Right. I mean, that's how it works, right? You go up to Alaska. It's crazy. There's fish everywhere. Yeah. And then eventually, I guess if you uh, love it enough, that's where you find out. And then you come back to like maybe down to the lower 48 to actually get serious. Is that kind of how it works? Well, not in this case, you would think. Uh, so I, I, <laughs> I actually got fired from that job, oh, wow. which is a story I've told before. 
Warren. And uh, <laughs> well, we can't we can't miss that one. So let's circle back around to the getting fired. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, it's a great way to start the podcast. Um, so, <laughs> oh gosh, so I uh, and this same buddy buddy of mine has gotten me fired at least twice. Oh so. wow, this is Chris. This is Chris, yeah, yeah, and so he was head guide and he's in charge of, um, you know, matching up the clients and the guides. And this couple came with their daughter who's in college. And, uh, you can probably see where this is going. Yeah. And so he paired up a single, the guide with the a veteran guide with the parents. And I was kind of one-on-one with her all week. Oh, wow. As a rookie guide, as a new guide. As a rookie guide, yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm not going to go into the details, sure. but we could, we uh, could figure it out. Let's just say, let's just say, I I I, uh, I ended up in a room and got caught, and so I got my walking papers the next day. So I <laughs> I thought my I thought well, <laughs> I think I made it about two months. So I thought, well, well, this is done. That was a <laughs> that was a brief guide career, and and so my same buddy Chris Lida, he left the lodge after that season and got a job in Colorado guiding, and got me a job out there, and so I uh, ended up spending three seasons in Colorado guiding trout and then a little bit of elk hunting, and in the meantime, I met my first wife who was from Southern Oregon. So that's how I ended up poking around down here, that Colorado connection or that Southern Oregon connection. Um, while I was in Colorado at, at this lodge called Elk Creek, um, Brian Geese from Flywater Travel. And I think Flywater is in their first year as a business, which that might've been, I'm not sure, 2000 or 2001. But anyway, Brian Geese came out to the lodge I was at, and obviously I met him, and we chatted about what we had in common being Southern Oregon, and you know, he said, well, you know, we could use a, an, a another fly fishing guide down here in Southern Oregon. So that kind of spurred me in the right direction, and off we went. There you go. And now you're on the Rogue, and you're uh, on the Rogue now floating, going whitewater, doing like everything, or are you specifically hitting a, you know, the upper river or something like that? Yeah, I don't do the canyon trips. I don't do the whitewater. So I'm mostly an upper rogue guide, uh, which it's a great part of the river. Uh, I've spent a lot of time on the lower rogue. I did leave, live in Gold Beach for a year after guiding in Colorado. I lived over in Gold Beach for a whole year. And I love the lower rogue. So I do I do, do the lower rogue in the winter. Yeah, what would the lower be? Because I think well, of the, consider, yeah. Yeah, the lower five miles um is considered the lower rogue and are you floating or are you uh floating that section sometimes yeah yeah um i used to have a permit to guide a lot of that down there back in the day and uh that was you know a more of a jet boat program so anymore legally i can just guide the lower 10 miles and so i'll drive in or i'll i will put my raft in and float it at times 
So it's kind of that moving fish kind of water. Right. So fish are not kind of sitting, they're actually migrating up through and you got to hit them on the move sort of thing. Absolutely. Yep. That's cool. I've been talking to Brian Niska up there on the Skeena Spay, you know, lodge up there. We're doing some stuff with him this mm-hmm. summer. And, um, you know, he described that like on the podcast, you know, these main stem Skeena fish are coming in and it's totally different than fish in the tribs because the tribs just different deal with here. They're coming in and sometimes they're, he was talking about how they're in shallow water and it was really cool, but I'm guessing the rogue, because is that kind of the same deal where you're just, you're fishing them differently than you would in the upper river? Absolutely. Yep. They're cutting corners or taking the path of least resistance. Um, even when the water's clear, they'll still come up in two feet of water at times or less. Sometimes they come up in water. It's too shallow to swing a fly into. Right. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, and you can watch them. Um, and so, you know, I'll position myself downstream of my, my clients and, and, uh, just watch and, uh, I'll see fish come. I'll say, okay, let oh, it wow. hang a little longer, you know, here they come or, or quick recast or, you know, it's pretty interesting, but it, it's a tough game at the same time, but you know, winter steel is tough anyway, but you know, when you can catch a fish that's that close to the ocean, there's just not a better fish. Right. So that's what you're doing. So that's the interesting thing, right? You're talking the rogue, um, you know, maybe talk about that a little bit, winters and summers, or what's that look like for, you know, throughout the year? Yeah, you know, we're lucky to get summer fish early here. And we get them early, and, and it's effective early because, you know, we have this dam up here that keeps the water cold. So while we do have some summer fish in the upper river, you know, say in June, May and June, there's not very many. And we actually end up getting a couple on salmon flies when we're fishing dries. But really after, say, July 4th, you know, is is a legit time to be on the upper rogue. And, you know, obviously they got to travel 100 miles to get there, but they're they're traveling through water that's, you know, in June and July and August, it's 70 to 75 degrees as you get down towards the mouth. So A, they're not going to bite and B, you just don't want to catch them. The water's too warm, but the upper rogue, you know, you got water temps from, you know, low fifties to, you know, low sixties at the, at at its peak, you know, in the heat of summer. So this fish shoot up to the upper rogue and just chill. So I'm fishing for summer steelhead from July to Christmas. Wow. On the upper rogue. And they just keep coming. There's a, you know, they'll just like any steel, they'll come in waves and then we get a, a late push of fish and, and there's years where, you know, you're catching summer steelhead in January, even February on the upper rogue. Um, if it's a low water year. So it's a long season for summer fish with a lot of different personalities, you know, we're wet wading in July and August and parts of September. Uh, it's hot. And then we transition into fall and, you know, everything changes. Yeah. What's the, um, the upper rogue, if you had to say just roughly, what is the area up there? Like what are the towns or what's the, yeah. Where does it become the middle rogue or or lower? You know, kind of rogue river grants pass is kind of the, break between uh the upper and middle and so 
they they used to kind of consider the upper rogue everything you know above gold ray dam when gold ray dam was in so it's kind of the upper 35 ish miles um technically i think it was where gold ray was uh, which is kind of that gold hill area all the way up to the dam what would be a town in the upper like you wouldn't be going above if you're fishing what's the the section i mean how far just trying to get a, a beat on the the geography a little bit because the rogue's a huge river right i mean how far like how far up can you go or are people fishing there's 157 miles of free flowing river so uh shady cove would be the closest town to the dam gotcha shady cove okay perfect so you got two things going on and then you got the summer thing going on. and then when do you is there just a short season where you're hitting the like the lower river you're talking about yeah, so in the winter I'm on the coast and I, I base out of Gold Beach and uh, that allows me to fish a lower rogue and a Chetco and some other coastal rivers, you know, within striking distance. So there's a handful of rivers there that um, that all have different personalities, all different sizes and and uh, so it's a nice diversity of, of things I can I can go fish and and uh, I'm over there February, March. Um, there's fish there in January. Um, it can be tough in January. I'm there a solid two months. Nice. Well, I mean, there's a bunch of ways we can go down here. I think it'd be interesting to talk upper rogue just cause it sounds like that's what you're doing most of your time, um, on that. What, what is that? So if we're coming in, it sounds like between July and yeah, December, there's lots of time. Is there any time in there where, you know, is kind of more, you know, kind of the, the hotter time, or is it pretty much if we were planning a trip in 2024 or 25, you know, you would say, Hey, July is just as good as October, something like that. You know, July is that time where you can go get one. There's not many fish. Those early fish are aggressive because the water's a little warmer. They get there fast. So you can catch a really quality, good quality fish early there'll be weeks in, you know, a week in July where we get some fish. There'll be a couple good weeks in August. You know, you'll hit your week where you wonder where they're at. And then, yeah, I would say the consistency level goes up in September. And from there on out, you know, I expect to get bit, um, from, from, (laughs) from there till Christmas, I expect to get bit every day we go. What has it been like, you know, we've seen some, uh, you know, overall just around the whole Pacific Rim, you know, some downturns and numbers. Have you seen a little bit of that uh, Mm -hmm. in the Rogue as well? And do you see that changing? Has that been going up or down? What's that look like? You know, we're lucky to have this Rogue River. It's just consistent, you know, and our fish. So our fish don't migrate north and they don't go far. And so any weird things that are happening, any you know, not that we can't have a blob or a dead zone out in the ocean, but you know, if the Columbia river systems in rough shape or, you know, Washington's in rough shape, that doesn't mean we are because our fish are just swimming in a different ocean. And if anything, our fish go South and I know the salmon definitely our salmon mixed with Klamath salmon and Sacramento salmon. So when they make a management plan for the ocean or whatever, all our fish are kind of grouped in together. So we're pretty lucky down here to be in our own little microclimate, you know, ocean speaking wise. We've had tough years. 
Uh, we've had phenomenal years, um, but it's overall, it's just pretty dang consistent. So we're, we're pretty lucky, pretty lucky. Gotcha. That's cool. That's cool. When people come in on your trips, are these mostly like day trips, people coming around for a, you know, half a day, a day, or are you doing like multi, or is there a multi or people doing that up in the upper river? Are they actually like camping and, and drifting and stuff like that? There's nowhere to camp in the upper river. Um, so I do one day trips. Now people book me for two, three or four trips, you know, days in a row. Um, but it's all day trips on the upper river for sure. Perfect. Okay. So day trips, so you're coming in and when you get, let's just take us, let's just say it's July because it will just focus for a little bit. You're coming in. Are you starting, you know, is are you getting first thing in the morning before light out there fishing all day? Or is it something where it's better morning, evenings, that sort of thing? Is this kind of typical? Like what, what, yeah, what does that look like? July and August, we're starting our first light and we're weighted up and you're probably going to want to wet weight by about 11 and, you know, fishing more floating lines and you can fish a skater if you want, uh, traditional flies. Middle of the day when it's super hot, the sun's high, you know, I'm getting the sink tips out and skagit lines, uh, just so we can get a you know, more in front of the fish, so to speak. Um, and then we just kind of sweat it out until we're just too hot to fish anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is usually between two thirty and four o'clock. It's like, all right. Take a nap. <laughs> it's ninety seven degrees. Let's let's call it. That's so cool. Oh, and they call it right. So you're not fishing you're not really fishing the evenings aren't a great time to hit it. You know, the evenings are good. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I'm not going to be out there from first light till dark. And, um, you know, the only other option is a split day, but it's just logistically and it's just too much. And the, you know, what's funny while we do go out at five thirty six 6 AM, I catch most of my fish between nine and 1 PM. And I can't tell you how many fish we've caught at one thirty, two o'clock when it's 97 degrees out. So it's just one of those things where, you know, you just, you just go. And, um, but I rarely get fish at 6am, 7am, 8am. Is part of it to get the right water? Is it that, does it get busy up there where you're like, okay, we got to get going because we want this run or is it, is there a lot of runs out there? It's not that competitive. Um, we're lucky it's not too busy down here yet. You know, we're just far enough away from major cities and, you know, Southern or, you know, a, a lot, if you, if you live in Portland or Eugene or Salem, you know, historically, you're not going to, you're going to go to the shoots for a, a weekend of fishing on a, you know, or, or you're not going to drive past North Umpqua to go down fish a road. Right. The North Umpqua. Yeah. Yeah. That's changed a little bit. You know, definitely saw an uptick in, in, uh, anglers, you know, over the last three, four years, five years as, you know, when the dish shoots of, you know, has been tough and, and, uh, other fisheries have been tough. We've seen a little more, a little more pressure, but you know, overall we're not, we don't need to get, get out there to try and get a spot. Today's episode is sponsored by Chode Outdoor, legendary comfort and equipment you can trust. Chode insists on the finest material and craftsmanship to assure you have the highest standards of quality. 
You'll feel in control of the elements in your Chota gear. Every product is solidly backed with a no-nonsense warranty against defects. And I have a family connection to Chota over the years. Back in the shop, uh, the old shop, my dad uh, carried Chota, and he wore those proudly with confidence. And now I'm carrying on that tradition supporting Chota. And I'm very excited about the new products coming out this year and working with Chota in 2023. I'm pretty rough in my gear and find myself putting a lot of miles on that gear and being pretty rough on it. So it's good to know that the Chota gear is durable, is bomber, and I don't have to worry about it. And uh, even on those long trips, and you know, if you have a blowout, it's not going to be a good situation. So I'm excited to uh, keep digging into this this year. Clean, comfortable, charismatic, and ready for any situation you can throw at it. You can head over right now to Chota Outdoor at wetflyswing.com slash Chota. That's C-H-O-T-A to support this podcast in a great family company right now. Okay, now back to the show. Do you get more California clients? I mean, you've been around enough, so you probably have some people that come back every year, but like, where are your new clients coming from? I have more and more Oregon and Washington clients today than I've ever had. Um, and I think that's reflection of the, their local fisheries being tough. But historically, it's been Bay Area, Sacramento, you know, NorCal is a bull. And it still is a bulk of my clients, for sure. Yeah, we got these borders we draw, right? We got Oregon, California, all this stuff. But really, if you look at the rivers, I mean, the Rogue is more, you're more down in that area. That's your, and you're closer to it. And it's probably, like you said, this fish, the steelhead runs are probably more similar to the sack than they are the, the Columbia fish, right? At least as far as where they go. Yeah, we're about halfway between Sacramento and Portland five hour either direction that's awesome so we're on the river and you mentioned so you you start early i mean is the technique just pretty standard stuff just your normal 12 foot whatever spay rod with your dry line and you know just on the surface wet flies is there anything different you do than say you would be doing on somebody fishing the shoots for summers or anything like that no nah, it's the same that's no different just find the fish no you know the runs and find the fish and, and get in front of them cover water yep right on What's it look like when you switch over to your, you know, the sun comes on the water and you're doing that just because, again, you want to, the sun's out, it's bright, so you're getting down to them. Talk about how, what lines you're putting on there and how you're fishing for those differently during, you know, the, the sun on the water versus not. Yeah, you know, certainly I'll fish Versaliters uh, or really light replacement tips like a Type 3 on Scandies throughout the day. Not 100% dry line all the time. But there are certain water types that you know fish live in that even if you have 10 feet of key 14 and a medium-weighted fly, your fly's not getting down that much. So, yeah, it's a combination of water type and time of day when I'm, you know, sink dip fishing. But in general, yeah, we'll fish a six-weight with a T11 off a Skagit line and a medium fly, you know. Uh, like a mini intruder type, whatever. Um, we're not necessarily going to dredge. That being said, you know, I always have in my boat day a game changer setup, which is Rio's, you know, four part Skagit head that sinks, right? And so 
depending on the float, there's going to be one or two spots. If, you know, if it feels right, we're going to get that thing out and we're going to really try to get down. Even if well, I don't care if it's July or if it's December, because the fish, that's where they live. Right. So while it might seem counterintuitive to bust that out in July, um, we might get it out in one or two spots just to see if we can get that fish. I base all these decisions on water type, water conditions, and time of day, you know? Yep. Right. If somebody was coming in and they're, you know, coming in to fish, they haven't been to the Rogue and they're thinking, okay, I, this I, this sounds like I can fish this water. What's the recommendation if they weren't getting a guide trip, but they're on their own? How do they find where to go, where to fish? What, is there any recommendations there to, to find some good water? Or is it all, is there pretty much lots of good water around that upper river? There's not a ton of public access on the upper rogue, which is great if you're guiding, but not so much if you're going to walk in. So if they have a boat though, you can, that's, so you're floating that upper river. Oh yeah. 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 There's definitely some boat ramps and access points. Um, but yeah, it definitely favors the guy with a boat. What do you run in there? What's your boat of choice? Well, I use a raft. Um, I use a raft just because for swinging, it's so much easier to get in and out of all day. Um, you know, most people, if they fall in, it's going to be getting it out of the drift. Boat That's true. <laughs> or getting it. Yeah. <laughs> Climbing over the side. Unless you have that boat with, I can't remember the name of the company, but they got the door on it, right? You've seen that Havadi or whatever. They got their door. Pavadi, yeah. Pavadi. Those are made down here. Um, those boats are cool, but, you know, and in the fall, man, this river gets low and you're going to hit every rock in the river uh, with a metal boat. And I've had metal boats. I've had, uh, fiberglass boats and, um, but just for parking, you know, pulling over into the shallow water to get out, getting in and out of the boat, the raft is just the best tool for a swing guide by far. And what is your raft? What's the brand you're, you're working there? I have an air it's, uh, one thirty-six double D, which is a 13 and a half foot the D means uh, diminished, so the tubes are diminished. Yeah, so instead of being big tubes on it. Yeah, it, so it gives you more floor space, and then uh, it's more wind resistant. And the only drawback to that style of boat is that if you are in white water, it cuts through the waves instead of going over the waves. So, you know, but the Rogue is not a, at least the upper Rogue's not there's not a lot of white water and we're wearing waders. doesn't matter. Have you been down through the lower, lower section, the white water section? I've never done that trip. I hate to admit. <laughs> yeah. That's one of those trips where it's like, for me, it's like, yeah, you get uh, puckered up a little bit on that one. It's, it can be tight. Have you done that one? Yeah, I've done it a few times and, um, it's one of those things I've taken a drift boat down there. And it's always one of those things where you're like, oh, wow. yeah, you're like, there's few spots where it's, I mean, the whole trip. You know, you're, you're not like on some rivers, like the Deschutes, it's like, okay, the Deschutes, I'm good. I mean, there's some rapids you're not really thinking about on the Rogue. You're always thinking about Blossom Bar the whole trip. You know, it's like, okay, Blossom's there. I got to think. And then finally you get through it and you're like, I'm glad I made it through that one. But because it's like, it's technical, you know, there's two right. big moves you got to make in every one. And even though it's not giant, like Grand Canyon, like Whitewater, it's still super technical. And, and yeah, so I don't know. It's fun. But it's, mm -hmm. yeah, I think this upper rogue thing would be kind of fun because you're like, you know what? Fishing's good and you don't have to worry about the whitewater. Yeah. 
there's a couple spots up on the upper river you need to know where to go. But, you know, you're not going to die unless you do something real dumb. So it's a pretty relaxing day floating the upper river. That's cool. Wow, this is good. So, yeah, you got your operation. I mean, basically, I like the half-day thing, too, because people come in, and again, some people listening now are like, probably like, oh, yeah, I can get a trip, get a half-day trip, get dialed in, and be like, all right, I got my stuff dialed, and now I can kind of go on my own maybe, right, the next day or something like that. Um, and you do a little spay, like, because, well, your website, right, is, um, what is it? It's, it's spaylesson.com, right? Yeah, yeah, that's all I do. That's all I do. And, yeah, that's my website. You know, I was lucky to get in it semi-early not really as some of uh, our spay heroes but yeah <laughs> um you know most guys that fish with me want to get better casting and so there's a lot of instruction that happens on the river while we're fishing as needed as wanted and so you know when a fish interrupts the casting lesson there's there's nothing better so <laughs> you know yeah that's cool. Because sometimes you hear people say, you know what? Spay's all over the place, right? I mean, gosh, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to be a Travis Johnson, right? A spay casting champion sort of thing. And that's okay. But yeah, there's all sorts of mm-hmm. different levels of where you get. Like I'm actually, I'm a pretty crappy spay caster, to be honest with you, you know, but it's fun and I'm always learning. And like, if I was to get on the water with you, my guess is by the end of the day, I would probably have a few things I could take you know, work on over the next year. Is that kind of how you do it? Or what's that look like for somebody who maybe has done a little bit of spay, but they struggle, they get on the water with you. What can they expect? What's the expectation for the rest of the year? Are they going to be feeling like, oh, okay, I'm really getting this dialed or is it okay? Uh, what's that look like? Well, everyone's different. You know, um, it comes down to, uh, cause I'm going to give you things, uh, you know, basically, you know, if we've, if we haven't fished before, I'm going to let you go out there unless you're brand new, but if you know what a double spay or a C spay is great, go, I'm going to watch you for the first, you know, 20 minutes and get you figured out. And then I'm going to make my mental list of priorities. Okay. What's the first thing we need to do here? Then we just go from there and see where it takes us. And, um, I mean, there's some people we, I just have to break you down to nothing and start from scratch. Or, okay, let's make this one adjustment and then let's build on this. Or, you know, there's, there's all kinds of paths it can take. Um, so it just kind of depends on, you know, what I'm seeing and, and what you can absorb in a day or two days or three or whatever it is. You know, what's interesting about working with people is, is some people take instruction really well and some don't. And then there's that every, everything in between. Right. What is somebody that doesn't take instruction? Right. Cause I'd imagine, I mean, they're paying for a trip on instruction and guiding. Like, what does that look like when somebody doesn't take it? Well, they're like just not listening or they're not a good listener. I think it's maybe not that they're not a good listener. It maybe you didn't play high school sports. Maybe you've never been coached. Um, maybe I'm just not saying the right words. I had a guy this winter who was, uh, we fished for three days. I think, yeah, three days on the coast. And, uh, he wanted to get things ironed out cause he was going down to Tierra del Fuego. And, you know, the D loop stroke is where the magic happens in every cast. And we we're just trying to get him to, to, uh, flatten that thing out. 
And um, I dug deep into the playbook with this guy and we tried everything. And on the last day, in the last spot, we tried one more thing and it clicked for her. Oh, really? <laughs> Usually by the, you know, the last couple of runs of the day, you know, we've done our work. You've got what you got. And, you know, but uh, I was like, man, I, I, and I get a little stubborn. I want to figure this out. And I'll be, he got it. And then he, God, that's so He awesome. got it. And then he sent me some, yeah. I mean, you know, and it was just a simple thing. But I've always said that, you know, when you take people out, especially people you don't know, you're like the head coach. You did not draft these players. And within the first 20 minutes of being on the water, you got to decide what offense you're going to run and how much you're going to open the playbook. And so you just never know. And so it's you can certainly give them too much, and you got to decide where that line is. I love the sports analogies. This is like the best because, you know, I played a little bit of sports, and it's always fun to hear that. I mean, we had John Gearock on recently, and we were talking about the guides. Like, he's been guided by a lot of people. I've been guided a few times, but... It's interesting because, um, you know, he talked about some of the good guides, you know, he was describing, they just know when to talk and when not to talk. And they kind of know, they can read the client really well. (laughs) And they just know, like, you know, you got, you don't need somebody to be talking your ear off the whole trip sometimes. Right. And you kind of feel that person out. If they're a good fisherman, like you said, you probably have some guys that come in and they maybe are just like, dude, they got it dialed. They just want to find a steelhead and you probably don't have to be like on them talking and telling stories the whole trip. Right. Is that kind of how it looks? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to be in their hip pocket. They're here to have a good time and, and, and zone out and fish and, you know, look around. And so definitely have to pick your moments. That might mean I might just have to take myself on a walk, <laughs> go find some rocks, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, what do you do when you're, you're a steelhead guy? It's a crazy thing, right? Because you know, these guys are I mean, for an hour, right? Or whatever, lots of days just sitting there. What are you thinking about when you're sitting there on the, you know, on the raft or just cruising? How do you, what's your time? Is this like meditation time or what are you doing? Man, I I mean, it's anyone's guess what's going on in my head. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, I just got to step back and uh, see what's going on. But, you know, often, you know, I go sit on the side of the boat and chill and now they're hung up. All right, All right. <laughs> let's go down and get your fly off the rock, whatever. Or uh, there's always something. And and um, but what's cool about having guys that that are good casters and good anglers is that at the right time you can say you know walk up and say hey you know Jeff you want to take this to the next level because you got game but you know you want to add ten feet to your cast and with less effort and. I've never heard no, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, so might throw them a little something to, to tweak and, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, like, Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I've only fished with two guys ever that I didn't have something for, you know what I mean? They were, you mean they were so good. They were so good. And one of them was Simon Gosworth. <laughs> that's sweet. Yeah. That's hard. You to- know? Yeah, I had nothing for Simon, obviously, but, um, so, you know, there's, there's something for everyone if they want it, you know, and, um, but I do get a lot of rank beginners, 
where we're just starting out with this is a spay rod. This is how you hold it and, and, and go from there. So it, it's, you just, just never know. That's what keeps it interesting. It does. And we got, uh, we've got Simon coming on again on the podcast soon. What would be a question you'd have for Simon? Or do you have any questions around spay? Like what would be a good question to ask him? Or is it like, how's that look? Do you have questions still? Or are you pretty much at a level where you're, you're kind of dialed? Well, yeah, I mean, gosh, I can't think of a question at the moment. I, I certainly do. And, and, uh, you know, being around Simon, you always learn something. You do. Oh Yeah. You know, when the Sandy Spayclave was happening, because I'm not a long line specialist, I can cast them, give me 20 minutes to kind of, you know, adjust and I can fake it out there pretty good. You know what I mean? Right. You're not using a 15 foot rod out there with a long belly sort of thing. No, no. Yeah. And so I'm a short head specialist, you know, that's what I do. And that's what 99% of the people do. So that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So every year at the Spayclave, you know, there's always somebody down on the river with, uh, a long line. And, and, uh, so I'd go down and cast with often was Charles St. Pierre, who's a phenomenal caster and, or Simon or whoever. And so I was down there and I was watching Simon do a single spay and, um, I'm like, man, that's really a simple way to do that cast. And so I, yeah, like, okay, what, what are you doing there, Simon? And so we kind of went through it. And so now I, you know, I've changed the way I, I teach the single spay. I miss that event for that reason, you know, just being around that level of caster and, and, uh, I've cast a lot with Charles St. Pierre over the years and he's come down here and, and we've done some classes together and, you know, he's an incredible instructor and caster that should get more recognition quick break for a word from our sponsor with more than 40 years of experience in coffee the anglers coffee team roasts a full range of coffee with one goal in mind delivering excellent coffee to every single angler responsibly sourced from farms using sustainable growing practices you can rest easy knowing you are doing your part roasted and shipped within 48 hours to assure freshness for me, it's all about that freshness and taste when I crack open a bag of anglers in the morning. I feel good because I know not only does it taste great, but I am supporting great movements along the way. With a blend for every taste, a dry dropper on the go tea bag option, and a roast sampler, you know Joe at Anglers is serving your needs. It's time to step up to better coffee and more impact for the fish species and causes we love. You can head over to wetflyswing.com anglers right now to grab a bag of greatness today. That's anglers, A-N-G-L-E-R-S, to make a change today. You know, as far as spade casting, we, we're not going to go deep in this, but you mentioned the the flattening of the D-loop. What, what, what do you mean by that? How do you flatten the D-loop? Describe that a little bit. The D-loop stroke itself, the sweep, right? It's the back cast of a spade cast, right? Yep. And so, you know, there's a guy named Chris King, um, Redding guy, um, Who's one of the best casters you'll ever see. He has all the credentials. And uh, I was doing a class with him years ago, and he talked about the tray of drinks. You know, if you've ever waited tables and you picked up a tray and you go put that tray up on your shoulder to go deliver it to the table, your palm is up the whole time 
you pick up the tray with your palm up and you swing it around over on your shoulder. And if your palm isn't up, you're going to spill the drinks. So I heard that from him years ago and I've stolen that from him and I try to give him credit where it's due. But when you make that D loop stroke and I don't care what cast it is, but it's certainly pertinent to double spay, snap T, C spay. If your palm is up, as you come around to your key position, your casting position, you're going to have a nice flat D loop stroke. What we don't want is a D loop stroke that angles too steep upward. So we want a flatter one and less and not a steep one. If you have a steep one, you're going to blow your anchor. And you know, if you took 10 casters, whatever skill level, you know, seven of them are too steep. And so I think too many people have heard you come around and you lift and you cast it. And, um, you know, with these short heads, the second you lift as you're forming that D loop, you're toast. So palm up, you know, if you can watch that top hand come around and that palm is up toward the guy, you're going to have a nice flat angle coming around, which is going to form a nice D loop. And then it's going to also put you in a good firing position because the same people that come up too steep don't have the rod angled back far enough. So instead of being at two o'clock or two 30, they're at one o'clock. So they get trapped in that position that forces them to push. And we know bad things happen when you push. Right. This is perfect. I love the analogy. I love the tip. It's so perfect. Even kind of when you think of your palm up, it's almost hard to do a little bit. You think about holding a tray. I've never done that before necessarily like for work, but I mean, that seems like that'd be kind of hard to do, but again, you're training yourself. So you palm up and then how are you holding your right hand? Like, how do you do it if somebody's struggling with that? Like, you know, we've had people that said, Hey, if you're struggling with that, you know, use your thumb and index finger in a circle and don't actually hold the top handle. What's your recommendation there? Yeah, I don't go down that road per se. Um, I mean, I don't want you to have a death grip on it, but hold it just like you'd hold a single hand fly rod. And, you know, the bottom hand is the one that really has to be the most flexible, so to speak, because there's a lot of rotation that happens down there. Because you still have to pinch the line off with your top hand. So if you're too loose, you're, the line's going to slip if you're shooting your line. So how when you, when you do the palm up, I'm just thinking about, yeah, the palm up seems kind of crazy. Like, I guess, I mean, if you're holding it like a fist, I mean, palm up, you're still you're thinking of it like your palm can still be up even though you're holding the rod. Yeah, it's not open, obviously, because you got to hold the rod. And so as you come around with that palm up and you go to make that D loop, you're just kind of turning that wrist. You know, when you get to that key position, yeah, it's not going to be straight up and down. It's almost physically impossible, but pretty close. Okay, good, good. You know, if somebody's in there, let's just say they've, they've got some experience, but they got a lot of struggles with their cast. Um, and you kind of watch them. What are the common things you see happening? This is probably one of them. What are there other common things and tips you give people when you're looking at them there for the first time? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the D loop stroke, I focus on a lot because it sets you up for success. I talked about too steep of an angle. You know, when you form that D loop, if the rods too steep of an angle, you're going to push. 
so most people push and whether you get the proper angle or, or not, most people push. Yeah. And how do you avoid pushing? What's the tip there? If you want to get maximum power with the least amount of effort out of a rod, you have to load it from butt to tip. Okay. But you can't load a rod from butt to tip on the forward cast unless you attain the proper angle behind you, right? That two, two o'clock or even two thirty. So if we can get to that, we can get to two o'clock, two thirty, uh, maybe two fifteen is a sweet spot. Um, now we can pull down through the stroke and load the rod from butt to tip. And so if we can do that, that's when the light bulb really comes on for people and they start casting with less effort and can get a lot more distance when needed. I mean, obviously anchor placement is critical in any cast and, you know, and this might funny. I went to the driving range yesterday cause I golf like twice a year and I'm golfing next week with my oh, cool. dad and brother. I'm spraying balls all over the place. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you. uh, you know, working <laughs> on my alignment, right? Like, okay, why is it going over there? Is it cause I'm facing there or is it because my swing, you know, but you know, I see a lot of people that, and it's often with a snap to your sea spay that face too far down river and don't face across enough. If you're misaligned, you're asking your body to twist more than it wants to, to get to that angle you want to cast. And so the path of least resistance for your body is up, not around. And so often what happens if you're closed to your target and not open to your target, you're going to have an upward angle as you make that D loop. So that is critical. I'd rather have you more open to the target than closed, if that makes sense. And what do you mean by open versus closed to the target? Say you're doing a river left snap T. Okay. So I'd rather have you facing more across river, which would be more open to your target more close to your target will be facing too far down river. Oh, I see. Yeah. So you're, yeah, you're looking down, you got river left looking downstream. So you're on the left side, you're a right-handed, you know, person, whatever, and you're doing the snap T yep. and you're doing a 45 just down and across sort of thing. Instead of being kind of more down and doing that, you're actually shooting, looking across, you're, you're pointing, your body's looking across. That's more of an open and that yep. allows you to make a better, right. Okay. Yep. Totally. So if you're trying to stay flat, on the D loop stroke, flatter than steeper. It's easier to do that if you're more open to your target. Oh yeah. That's a good tip. Nice. And sometimes that helps anyways. It seems like, you know, the down and across and stuff, depending on the situation and how you want to get your fly down. But it seems like casting a little more upstream maybe gives you more control to do some stuff. Like I always feel like when I was really crappy at casting, if I splattered a terrible spade cast out there, I could always mend before it got in the zone. You know, even though that's not the perfect situation, it felt like I could sure. always fish it. So you do tend to see people when you're guiding them at that you want them mostly pointing across the river or, or are they doing a little bit of everything? Well, it doesn't mean we have to cast straight across, you know, which with a snap T or C spay is a, a little more of a challenge if you don't set your anchor high enough. Right. But I just want to make sure guys aren't pointing too far downstream, you know, aiming their bodies, aligning their bodies. We can still cast at a 45, but we're going to just have more success if we're a little more open to it. 
you know, stance wise. That that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, it makes sense. Right on. Well, this has been awesome. Well, where would you send if somebody's come down? They want to hit the rogue, you know, and they they could call you. Obviously, we'll have a link in the show notes for that. But if they weren't calling you and they wanted to get some information on, like, where do you go? Right, I'm heading down there. Maybe I'm going down with a friend. Never been down there. How do they know where to start? Like, say they have a boat. You know what I mean? What would you recommend? There's certainly river maps available. You know, there's a shop in Medford. The the Rogue Valley Anglers, there's Ashland Fly Shop. Those are in, in Ashland. Those are great resources to, you know, kind of getting, you know, access points. There's a number of parks on the river. There's Tuvel Park. There's parks above Shady Cove, Elk, you know, uh, Rogue Elk. And uh, there's parks up closer to the dam. So there's some spots you can pop in and fish. And the good old internet, you know. But um, yeah, like I said, there's not a ton. Not a ton of access as far as floats. You know, there's a handful of floats you can do in that Shady Cove area, but um, for the Spay guy, there's plenty of cool water. You know, which is yeah, definitely easier to get to in a boat. Okay, good, good. So, um, yeah, let's start this off. This is what we call our coffee talk segment, where we kind of wrap it up and have a few random questions, some easy stuff for you, just to kind of clean up. I mean, I think today. You know, there's a lot of information here. Obviously, you're a wealth of knowledge on the, I can just tell just all the few tips you've given us on the casting that we definitely want to keep you, you know, get some people in touch with you and maybe check back with you at a later point. But this has been good for a primer. So tell me this. So we got our, this is uh, kind of presented by Range Meal Bars. That's kind of one of our, that's my thing on the river. Like when I'm hungry, it's like, okay, what am I eating? What's the thing for you? What are you doing when you're sitting there and you're, you're guiding me all day? What's, do you have a snack or are you kind of just like your coffee guy all day long? I'm about a two coffee guy. I'm a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, beef jerky and uh nut guy. Oh, nice. Beef jerky is the tough one though, because like beef jerky where it's like, okay, I'm making my own beef jerky, which I don't do. I wish I did. Then you got the beef jerky off the shelf, which is like, okay, it's like 50 bucks for some jerky. And you kind of wonder about it. What, what's your, do you just kind of go whatever, whatever jerky you can get on? <laughs> Kind of the best mass-produced one, I think, is Old Trapper. It's pretty dang good. Um, I often will have pepperoni sticks. I do hunt, so I, I'll, I'll have deer or elk pepperoni sticks in the boat, you know, a good portion of the year. But, uh, yeah, I'd say those are uh, my main snacks for sure. Are you a deer and elk hunter, or is it like big game mostly? Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. Are you more of a listening, you know, when you're in the car or traveling, more listening to music or podcasts or what are you doing there? If I'm by myself, um, music or, you know, I have XM radio, so I'll listen to the NFL network or I'm a big Pearl Jam fan. There'll be a Pearl Jam radio going on a lot of the time and anything 90s that happened in Seattle, I listen to. Yeah, that's perfect. I love it. Yeah, Pearl Jam is definitely one of my favorites. I'll, I'll put a link. I always love to get a link out in the show notes so we can have some listening, uh, some tunes on the way out. What's your? Do you have a song? It sounds like you know them pretty well. They had a ton of stuff. What is one Pearl Jam song you think come to your mind? Man, there's so many good ones. It's kind of tough to think of the names, right? Because I don't. When I think of it, like God, what are the names? Like, I mean, I don't even know. Like, I don't know. Even Flow was that an album or a name? I don't even know. Maybe that wasn't even Pearl Jam. <laughs> that's a song name. But yeah, that's a good one. That's certainly a good one. Okay, cool. Well, if somebody's coming to the Rogue, they're fishing the upper river, 
Is there a restaurant or some food you'd recommend people if they were like on their own, they're going to stop by for some dinner or something like that? Any, any places there? You know, Medford, there's all kinds of spots in Medford. Uh, there's kind of a newer brew pub there called Common Block that's pretty awesome. Okay. Common Block. Good, good. So if you were going to go pro, so you're a pro, obviously, the guiding, but if you were going pro in a sport, uh, what would it have been if it wasn't uh, in fly fishing? Oh, man. Uh, football. Did you play a little football? I did, yeah. What was your position? Quarterback. Oh, wow. You're, you're a quarterback. There you go. Mm-hmm. I've never been a quarterback, but I imagine it's like that's a pretty important position in being able to kind of uh, guide people, right? Do you take some of your quarterback, some of that stuff from your past? Does that help you in your fly uh, kind of guiding stuff? Oh, I don't know. Maybe seeing the field, um, reading the reading the defense. Uh, I mean, you're kind of as a, you know, I, and I, I'm stealing this from George Cook because he, he he does a whole bit on how you're the spade quarterback and you got to know when to audible. And that's oh, a, he does. George does that. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a George thing. Nice. But um, you know, I, I guess when you fish, whether you're spade fishing or whatever, you gotta you gotta see the whole field and and make the proper adjustments, or you probably won't catch one. So, you know, awareness. You know, awareness is a big part of of spade casting for sure. Right. Gosh, that's it. So if you're on a run, you're sitting there and this person is, you know, you know, fish holding this run, but nothing's going on. You know, when are you making the choice to be like, okay, we're out of here. I mean, are you letting somebody fish all the way through? How do you know, you know, how do you know when you're on a run, it's just been, no, I got to go somewhere else. It's probably a little different every time, but if they're covering productive water and you like the way they're covering it, we're going to keep fishing it. You know, every fishing guide has stories about, the fish they catch on the last cast, you know, they're like, Hey, Bob, last cast. <laughs> and then he's like, Oh no, one more. Okay. This is the second right. last cast. And then he gets a fish. Oh, so you've seen that a few times. Oh yeah, totally. I- I'm sure every fishing guide's seen that. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, when they're, if they're flailing and you know, or they've hit the wall and we need to change the scenery, I'll pull them out of good water if it's just not going well. But, uh, Fishing and hunting, they're the same thing. You don't know when that that mo- when it's your moment, and sometimes you just have to stay the course. That's perfect. Cool. Well, what do you have going? So now it's we're kind of going into, I guess, May, you know, um, as you look out over the next year. Is it, uh, when's your first trip when you're thinking getting out? You mentioned July is that upper river. Is that kind of when you're starting, or do you get earlier than that? I may go try and catch a steelhead in late June, but uh, July is when it starts. Um, I do do a little trout guide and we get a salmon fly hatch here on the upper rogue. So oh wow, I'll do a few of those trips. Yeah, it's actually a really good hatch. And uh, so we'll do a little salmon fly fishing late May, early June. And so that kind of gives some of us local guides a little extra guide time and income. And it's, it's a great hatch. It's, it, and we catch a couple of good fish here and there. So that's next. And then, um, we'll be chasing the or fisher rule. So, yeah, that's good. Awesome. Well, I will send everybody, like we said, you know, uh, spaylesson.com if they have questions or want to connect with you for a trip. And, uh, they, I mean, I think that this has kind of been a primer on a lot of this. We'll maybe check back with you down the line and dig a little more, maybe into the spay and, uh, you know, some more on the steelhead stuff, but it sounds like, you know, that's summer steelhead. I always think of that, like, you know, it's not really rocket science, right. As far as the steelhead fishing, but 
it's more like just kind of, yeah. I mean, what do you think as a guide? And maybe we'll leave it at this. We have a lot of guides that listen to the show. I talk to people about like, what do you want to hear? And a lot of times I say, they say, Hey, I'm a new guide. Like get somebody to tell me some tips on being a guide. What would be one tip you'd leave that person with? It's like, he's a new guide. He's just like, Oh man, he just loves it so much. But you know what I mean? He's brand new. What would you tell him? You know, at first I'd, I'd say be yourself. You know, my first guide jobs were with lodges. And when you work for lodges, you kind of have to fit a mold. But when you go out on your own, you know, be yourself. You know, we need as many guides as we can, especially when we're starting out. But if you're going to build a career out of it, be yourself. You're not going to click with everybody. And over time, you're going to build your client base with people that really like fishing with you, the genuine you. That'd be my advice. That's awesome. And um, aside from go out and figure it out, you know, on your days off, you know, do your research, but um, just have fun. People are there to have fun. So go have fun. Go have fun. Be yourself. I love that. And I lied there. I'm going to leave one more, one more quick one here. So you mentioned the Griswolds at the start, which I think is funny. Um, The Griswolds that I think of the movie. Do you have a movie for us? Are you a big movie buff? Do you have a favorite movie or is the, uh, the, the Griswolds? What was the name of uh, Chevy Chase, right? And that whole thing. I mean, it's you can't do much better than than the vacation movies. Uh, you know, Christmas Vacation's right up there. There's some great moments in that film for sure. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, maybe we'll get a surprise link out to one of the Griswold movies in the show notes here. So, so cool, John. Well, this has been fun. Like I said, there's a ton of knowledge here, and we'll have to just get people connected with you. And, and until we uh, talk again, thanks for all the time today. Hey, really appreciate it. Been super fun. There you go. Wetplacewing.com slash 463, working our way up the charts, almost up to 500 episodes. Uh, That is going to be a mega milestone. We hit it. We're not too far away at this rate. 463 today. If you want to get the show notes, check out what we have going. Check out some videos. Check out that palms up um, approach. Hopefully, John has a video out there. We can take a look at that. Quick reminder, Instagram right now, at Wetplacewing. Follow us on Instagram and ask a question for our next guest. Quick listener shout out, Aaron Merrill. Aaron Merrill says, hi, Dave, love the show. My 12-year-old and I love rainbow trout and largemouth bass. Aaron shared a picture of his uh, boy Ricky catching grandma this past weekend. Let's take a look down at this photo uh, and see what we got going here. We'll take. Oh, yeah, that is a heck of a fish. There you go. There you go. He's got a nice bass on right there. Um, and so, and he says, we live in Texas and look forward to fly fishing Lake Norris this summer. Catch and release Aaron and Ricky, the rooster Merrill, Aaron, Ricky, the rooster Merrill. Awesome. That is so cool. Aaron, thanks for checking in, um, with that email. Love it. Love it. I guess we can be calling this uh, listener feedback segment. Uh, we're calling it listener shout out, but this is always a lot of fun for me. I appreciate you for checking in and supporting the podcast and, uh, giving us a little, uh, connection to you and your family. If you're listening right now and you want to get a shout out on this episode or a uh, in our listener uh, bag, I guess, or a mailbag here, you can check in with me, Dave, at wetflyswing.com anytime or on social media, like we said, Instagram, follow us there and you can connect. There it is. And you can get a shout out on this podcast and, uh, and you will be good to go. All right. Uh, so I think we are about ready to rock and roll. Do we want to take a look at what we have coming next? Let's take a quick peek at what we have coming next. I love looking at this because sometimes we get so much good stuff going. I kind of tend to um, forget. So I'm going to look right now. What do we have going right now? Oh, yeah. This is pretty cool. We are going. We're staying spay. 
for staying spay. I know you love it. Monday, and this is the first time that we've had a Monday episode. We're changing to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Monday is going to be the first week where we're mixing it up. And we've got a big episode, uh, Topher Brown here, Atlantic Salmon. We'll be talking swinging, so I'm just going to leave it at that. That's going to be a really great episode. Topher uh, is going to knock that one out of the park. So uh, so here we go. We're, we're doubling down. We're keeping this rolling. And, uh, and I'm going to let you get out of here. I'm going to let myself get out of here. And, uh, and I'm going to take off for the long weekend. All right. I hope maybe to see you on an upcoming trip. I'm going all day, all long, all year long. Wetflyswing.com slash school. You can check out the most recent trip we have going for a chance to uh, get a slot and come on the river with me. But if you can't do that, definitely check in with me online. If we haven't talked yet, do that right now. And I'm going to get out of here. I hope you are having a good afternoon. Hope you have a good evening or good morning wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you for stopping by today and for supporting this podcast. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.